Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Marcus Pina, head of creative at Argo Design and founder and Mezcal head at Creador Agave Spirits. Welcome on, Marcus. We're so excited to have you on. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I wanted to start off and just have you go into telling us a bit about your work experience and truly your evolution as a designer. I am a self-taught designer. I'm head of creative right now at Argo Design. I'll kind of work back. Argo Design is a global consultancy based, I'm based in Austin. We have offices in New York and Amsterdam and Munich. And as head of creative, I um, have oversight over projects, um, help manage the team, um, and help get new business. Uh, prior to that, I was at Under Armour uh, Connected Fitness as a creative director, um, working with the Under Armour brand team to help bring the brand to life in these digital experiences. Um, worked on, uh, worked on, and with the teams that designed and built uh, Map My Run and My Fitness Pal and Under Armour Record. Um, Prior to that, was a frog design as a creative director, worked on a bunch of um, um, client engagements. Uh, and then I was at Microsoft for about seven years working on, as, as creative director, uh, working on Zune, uh, various MSN properties, uh, music, entertainment, video, um, and started there as a, started at Microsoft as a, as like a designer, um, um, cranking out GIFs and JPEGs and things of that sort for windowsmedia.com. Um, and prior to that, uh, a handful of uh, contract gigs, uh, worked at a game studio called Zombie, um, which is where I really got my start as an intern. Um, I'm, I'm self-taught, like I said earlier, um, uh, really the way you got out of being the intern or graduated from the being the intern uh, was to, to uh, get yourself a job. So I learned... Um, Photoshop, sat in front of a power PC for about a month, just kind of looking at it, um, figured out how to work it. Um, and, and then, you know, viewed the source, uh, as, as we used to do in the nineties and figured out HTML, um, and graduated to, to become the webmaster at, at, uh, zombie. Um, yeah. And it just kind of went from there. Uh, I think prior to, to the digital world, digital life. Um, I'd always been interested in drawing and art and and uh, things of the kind of graphic persuasion um, was in bands and made posters and all that kind of stuff. So um, so getting into the visual side of things early in, in my digital life uh, totally made sense. Wow. It's it's such a cool story. And to be self-taught and to arrive at the place that you're at now is really inspiring. I'm wondering if you can talk yeah. about uh, the transformation and I don't know if it happened between Microsoft and Under Armour, but going from a creative to a creative director and then becoming more of a leader in that in that world, can you talk a little bit about that transformation and how you approached going from a creative to becoming a creative leader? Yeah, that that happened during my time at Microsoft. Um, I like I said, I was I started there as as like a, a designer um, and just kind of graduated and, and got more responsibilities and, and was responsible for more, um, more 
uh, essentially projects um, and really started to build relationships with the, the PM teams and the engineering teams, um, all of that in pursuit of getting the designs delivered and built and really just uh, really learned there um, that the, you know, some of the challenges faced in getting designs realized um, in that type of environment. So um, really, uh, it really helped to make those relationships and build those relationships and then build trust with the teams um, uh, and eventually got into a position where there was an opportunity to, to lead a certain um, uh, a project. Um, and that uh, was an opportunity that I grabbed and took and, and did pretty well at it and was offered a, a lead role um, and, and in that role, that's where I started to um, let go of the reins of making things and designing things and uh, hiring and finding the people that um, that I could trust to to realize those designs um, or realize what we needed to get done. Um, so that's that was when I kind of moved into the, the people management um, and project management uh, to a degree of side of things. Um, and so that was a gradual, a gradual um, kind of process in terms of building a team um, and gaining those responsibilities uh, and gaining the trust to kind of deliver on those responsibilities. Um, that kind of probably took about three, two or three years um, to grow. So I, I eventually grew like a team of like 14 or so multidisciplinary designers at MSN. Um, and, you know, really uh, those teams were, had their own leads and they were, they were crushing it. Um, and I really focused more on the, some of the more kind of organizational challenges that that design faced. Um, uh, and had, had mixed success with that. Just, <laughs> let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you don't learn through successes I've been told. Can you talk about how that transformation in your career prepared you for agency life, uh, specifically in relationship building? I feel like that's such a, it's such a key aspect to a lot of, a lot of creative roles and maybe not something that comes naturally to a lot of creatives. Yeah. I think that is the glue or the connective tissue between, um, working and, um, leading at a at a uh, a company such as uh, at larger companies such as Microsoft or um, Google or Apple, and then uh, being a, a lead at a or director at a at an agency, it is really yeah being able to uh, get people uh, uh, on the same page or um, tell a story in a compelling way that gets. Um, everyone moving in the same direction. Um, I'd say the there that was kind of the, the connective tissue that the differences um, were really that it took a while for me to realize um, that at a, at a agency, a firm, and Frog was the first uh, agency I, I worked at, um, was really the, the, just getting my head around the idea that all I had to focus on uh, not all, but the, the main thing I needed to focus on was the design. Um, and we were being, you know, hired to uh, deliver on a set of design uh, solutions or, or a problem to solve. So all of the kind of uh, politicking, well, not all of it, but a lot of the kind of politicking and um, 
and uh, the meetings that are we're kind of used to uh, when we're working at a product company um, greatly diminished, and it was more about uh, th- three things really in the in the agency world. One, uh, understanding the problem space. So, in you know at Frog at, and, and at Argo, we're asked to solve design problems in different industries. So we quickly have to become, uh, if not experts, pretty uh, coherent in in a space, whether it's spatial computing or mixed reality or enterprise software. That's uh, you know a ticket support system or or whatever those things are. So that's one we need to you know just understand the space. Two, um, really understand. Uh, the client and their needs, and that's something that unfolds as you're as as you're going through an engagement um, to really understand how a client's going to respond to the work, um, what they're looking for. A lot of times, the thing that they think they want is not actually what we end up delivering because um, as we get into the work, uh, as we get into the research, it unpacks some other other things that are actually become more of a focal point. So, so two, understanding the, the client and their needs. And then three, understanding your team. And, and uh, in, in my experience at Frog and Argo, our teams are, you're not working with the same group of people for, for years on end, like you are at a product company. Um, you have a new team that's assembled for uh, a certain project. So you really need to uh, also not just understand the space, understand the client, but then understand your team and how to get the best out of your team um, and get get them moving as well. Um, so that those are kind of uh, the, the gift of the gab, if you will, and be able to talk to people is the connective tissue. Um, but then there's, yeah, the agency life has its um, de- definitely distinct differences uh, from, from uh, the product world, the product, uh, internal product team world. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear that you kind of have to become an expert in every field that you're uh, tackling a design project. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how you've seen design change in your career? Because I feel like um, now design touches every aspect of your interaction with a product and can even steer you so directly to purchase that product. Um, Whereas maybe in the past, it was a little bit more like design follows function or design has like a specific role. And now it feels like design might be front and center in that role. Um, Do you mind just sharing your thoughts on design and and the evolution you've witnessed? Sure. Yeah. I think um, to your point, design is in a, uh, it's in a, it's definitely um, no longer, you know, um, in the trunk or, or the last thing that you think about, at least, at least for the most part, there's, you know, we still encounter clients where, um, design is the thing that's tacked on at the end. But I think in terms of, um, the consumer experiences, uh, we encounter and, uh, just, I think the the general modality design is, is definitely something that's more in our vernacular and something that we're aware of. People are more, uh, cognizant when they interact with something um, that's a delightful experience, if you will. Um, uh, And I think that's, you know, built on the basis of the last probably, you know, 15, 20 years of digital, digital design. Um, Definitely when I started in the work in the design field, the, you know, design 
manifested in web pages, and that's kind of where I, where I, my focus has been has has mostly been on the web, um, uh, at least in my early days. Uh, so that was really, in those days, there was no sense of uh, separation between interaction design or visual design or even even things like user research. Um, uh, uh, those were all just just a matter of getting things done. You just kind of made things. Um, uh, and definitely experienced in those in those days as well. Um, you know, design was was uh, you know the the product owners called in the designer to make something look good. You know, that's kind of how design was treated. It was paint. Um, um, and so I'd say you know we moved uh, quite a, quite a ways from there. Um, and you know, interacting with uh, Fortune 100 companies, uh, there's a lot more maturity. Um, in terms of having design product and engineering uh, on on equal footing, I'm not going to say it's across the board, but definitely um, we're seeing a lot more maturity in internal design teams, um, not without challenges, but you know that's something that definitely um, wasn't there, uh, wasn't a major component uh, 15, 15, 20 years ago. I got to remind what. Remind myself what year it is because it's like yeah, <laughs> the last few years. years ago. The last few years have yeah. changed my sense of time <laughs> entirely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just think you know more more awareness, more acceptance of the importance of design. Um, at least uh, you know it's something that's on your uh, on your product checklist um, that you need to take off. It's kind of how you treat that. Um, that's still ever evolving, um, really, you know, some, some companies we work with, you know, really understand that design is integral to their product. Others were, we still work with to, to get their heads around, um, that design needs to be integral to their product. Um, so, and then, you know, I think another kind of big area that we've heard uh, and I'm sure you guys have heard about is this notion of design ops and um, delivering design systems that enable great design. Um, and so we're also seeing uh, a lot of maturity in that space, still a ton of work to do, but um, the, the notion that uh, just like uh, side by side with engineering, uh, a design operations capability um, can really move a company um, at light speeds in, in, in terms of delivering relative light speeds in terms of delivering a product. Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, in addition to this magnificent career that you have, uh, you also are very involved outside of work in, uh, you have a, you created a Mezcal brand. You also ran an art gallery for a number of years. Do you mind talking about uh, where that passion comes from and and in your involvement in in those endeavors yeah um uh I, I guess i've always kind of had this apparently uh, entrepreneurial streak in me as well even though i've you know worked at um worked for other companies uh for the greater part of my design career um the the notion of the side hustle has always been um always been something I've, I've believed in. Um, so that really, I guess, probably started with, uh, I played in bands. Um, and so that's one kind of very kind of visceral creative 
outlet um, <clears throat> where invariably I ended up in positions positions where I'm, you know, designing things for the band or whatever. Um, uh, you got a built-in poster maker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a built-in poster maker, website, builder guy, yeah, album covers, uh, uh, all that stuff. I was a lot cheaper than anybody else. Um, and, um, and then, you know, the gallery thing, um, had an art gallery, guardrail gallery, um, um, started in Seattle and that was really a passion for art. I had a, I, I had a passion for art. Um, I, I think growing up in, um, I grew up in England, um, going to museums and, and galleries, just, uh, you know, being a very visual person, um, I kind of developed this, this general appreciation for art and really, really kind of locked into, um, American folk art from the deep South and, um, and yeah, started a gallery and, and that kind of was, uh, another side hustle that was creative, but also, um, um, creative in terms of, uh, you know, developing the, the, the PR materials, but, but was also, you know, more of that kind of people management, managing artists, managing relationships with, with buyers, um, and organizations. Um, so, uh, uh, familiar ground in terms of what I was doing in my day job. Um, uh, and then the Mezcal brand, uh, you know, my, my passions, um, for, I, I really got into Mezcal like in, I don't know, 2015, uh, in terms of this, the flavor. And then I really got, uh, curious about the stories and where it came from and how it was made and the culture around it. And, um, it really kind of, uh, grabbed a hold of me and I love Mexico. And um, I was thinking about, you know, how, what can I do to, to, to keep going to Mexico? Um, and what can I do in Mexico? And, um, and I explored a number of things. I was explored being an investor, explored being some uh, working for another brand. And, and really um, I landed on, you know, starting my, my own brand, um, because uh, there were there was really I just kind of landed on some certain stories that I wanted to tell um, and uh, and create a, a certain experience um, that has its own little spot in the market. It's um, just so yeah. Oh no, that's that's, just... kind of, that's kind of how that evolved. Um, uh, and yeah, that just getting I've been working on that for three years in terms of like getting it to market, um, but it's an idea that kind of was in my head probably, you know, five years ago. Yeah. It's, and it's a beautiful brand. Are you responsible for the yeah. design of all the the bottlings? Uh, I worked with um, a couple of um, uh, collaborators, friends um, from the design world. Uh, uh, Steven Eggert, who's a designer here in Austin um, and someone who I'd worked with at Frog and Under Armour and Argo. Um, he's, He's um, uh, one of my favorite designers in terms of typography. And so we worked uh, on the, the Creador uh, uh, wordmark and, uh, and the, the foundational system for, for typefaces um, and, and some early explorations on the label design. And then uh, the, each label has uh, a painting. There are six different labels, each, uh, so six different paintings. Um, 
And another uh, designer who I worked with at Argo uh, and artist, Camille Woods, here in Austin as well, um, worked with her to, um, she has this really kind of folk art um, painting style, um, and she's a self-taught artist as well. This kind of folk art painting style with big, bold colors, which is very um, evocative of Oaxaca, like big, bold, bright colors. And so her style really kind of matched with matched up with um, the um, the aesthetic that I was going for with Crador, which is very kind of hand handmade and and singular and unique and special. And so yeah, she painted six paintings and um, and then uh, yeah, that's that's where the 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 kind of two collaborators and then I kind of put all that stuff together um, uh, for the for the final labels. Yeah, it's just, it's such a beautiful looking product and the history behind it seems so yeah. rich and creative. And uh, I want to have, I, I don't know if it's being sold in Denver, yeah. but I want this, <laughs> this mezcal. Where can we, yeah, where can we get the, get this? Because I was eyeing that up as well. Yeah, I'm only in Texas at the moment. Um, Creatorspirits.com is the, is the website. Um uh and 2023, I hope to be in places like Colorado and California. Um, nice. uh, those, are, those are the first two places on the list. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, can I pull back? Because these, referring to them as side hustles almost feels like a little insulting or something because these are just remarkable endeavors. Uh, running a gallery in Seattle for 20 years and starting a, a a mezcal brand that empowers local mezcal creators uh, and 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 magnifies their story. These don't feel like side hustles. Like I feel like it's like side hustles. Like oh yeah, I designed that guy's band poster in my mind. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about the idea of side hustle because I think it's a sensitive subject for a lot of creators to speak openly about. Because if you're employed at Under Armour or Microsoft or these big companies, uh, it, it almost feels like kind of hush-hush to speak about something else you're doing that might be taking your creative juices or um, how do you, how have you sort of, not rationalized, but how do, how do you look at side hustles in general as a creative? Yeah, I, I feel... Um... You know, as creatives in our day jobs, um, we are challenged to to innovate and come up with ideas, and we can we can be inspired by the industries that we're that we're involved in and uh, by other designers. Um, uh, but I, I feel if if those are just really singular and uh, singularly dimensional, um, we're really kind of missing out on on the other things we could be delivering on. So. Uh, I feel pretty fortunate in that um, pretty much everywhere I've, I've, or a lot of people I've worked with, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know that companies would are were promoting it, but everyone I worked with always had, you know, something else to bring that um, was uh, for the day job would really impact um, the way we thought or the way we were wanting to deliver on a solution. So. Bring having that multi-dimensionality um, outside of work, whether it's starting your own business or planting a, a vegetable garden, um, whatever whatever those things are, 
um, that are the thing you do that are that that can be creative or that just um, augment your the way you think uh, and bring and what you bring to your day job, uh, I think is vitally important. Um, and yeah, I think it's just varying degrees of of what your uh, your side hustle or what your your extracurricular curricular activity uh, uh, can be. It's 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 very varied, but whatever whatever it is that kind of um, uh, provides some different inputs and provides uh, different perspectives, I, I think is really valuable. I think you're learning something that um, you're not exposed to in your day job. You're able to bring that back into your day job and impact your work. I love that. I love how you speak yeah. about it as expansive rather than it doesn't take something from you to spend your time doing that. It gives something to you that you then can give back to your, you know, primary place of employment or, or you just has more, you have more texture to your character by, by thinking outside of your, you know, day-to-day -day role. Yeah. I think, you know, an example, just a quick example is with, with the, the recent launch of the Mezcal brand. I'm, I'm like, public speaking, like, you know, three times a week, uh, which in pandemic with, with, uh, the day job, uh, we've been on zoom calls and, and, you know, less face-to-face -face time. And, and those are different. It's a different way of public speaking. I mean, you're still speaking, conveying ideas, but it's, you're kind of missing the people in the room. And, and I think, you know, I've been like reinvigorated, uh, in the last couple of months, uh, um, by, you know, having a lot of, uh, in-person inter, inter, interactions and then presenting and uh, having discourse and, and uh, around uh, around a subject. So, you know, that's just one example of um, that. I That's something that I bring back um, every day to the day job um, and yeah, feel re-energized by. Yeah, I love that. And I also love uh, when when designers, which is often an isolating role where you're sort of your relationship is between you and your medium um, create in a more social setting. Like Mezcal, I can only imagine is you're speaking with restaurants and other creators and, and foodies and, you know, people that then propagate the stories that this Mezcal embodies. Um, and a gallery is very much the same thing. It's, 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 you know, you're there, you're communicating with people who are experiencing the art in person. Um, does that relationship, uh, do you think that that was born out of your role as a sort of a creator in these um, more corporate settings? Maybe a desire to be, to, to create in this way that builds communities in person? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, I used to think I was an introvert uh, up until, I mean, I'm just kind of quiet, I guess. But um, I, but I really do enjoy like those um those opportunities to, to speak, um, you know, I still might get butterflies in my stomach and almost want to, um, be sick, but you know, I, I want to, once I get going, I'm good. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there's like, um, a reciprocal, uh, effect, you know, of the, like I said earlier, the, 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 um, the extracurricular curricular speaking, um, and, and then, you know, what, the social, um, interactions that you're having in your day job, I think they're just, you know, it's just, it's just, 
I guess part of um, something that I've discovered that I actually enjoy, which I, you know, that's definitely shifted over time. Um, as as an as a young designer, um, I, I did have to talk a lot because I had to ask a lot of questions like, uh, "Hey, how do you copy?" <laughs> uh, you know, very basic. <laughs> uh, um, and I think you know, just being in an environment where um, uh, this was at the game studio, Zombie, where you know I was uh, talking to people every day about their about what they needed or um, as an intern, I was, I was like sourcing materials for, for environments. So, Hey, we need some brick walls. Well, it'd be like, well, what kind of brick walls it, are we, are we in a first person shooter in, in, you know, Brooklyn or like, is it, um, you know, in a foreign country? So yeah, just talking to the game designers, understanding what they need go, go find those materials and then come back. Just having those building those, relationships again just just meant I was very uh forced to be very vocal and inquisitive and and I think that just developed in my day job life love that can you share with us and our listeners some of your guiding mantras and how you've lived by them in your career and your life over the years so when I was a kid um I visited my dad uh he was in the air force uh this is in England he had like an office that was like a Quonset hut so like a a domed constant hut and above his desk he had a sign that said give a damn um and as a kid i was like wow that's he's got a cuss word uh in, <laughs> on the wall there. and i asked my dad like what is what does give a damn mean and and my dad was like well it means you know a lot of people say i don't give a damn like like they don't care um and he was like you should care uh, about what you do and and bring bring uh you know, bring a hundred percent every day. And so, uh, you know, I, I kind of forgot about that for many years, um, uh, until probably like 10 years ago. And, and I re recalled that and realized that that's something that, you know, I've kind of, that's kind of driven me and probably why I kind of do these things that are, that are besides the day job, like, you know, um, galleries and brands and mess and bands, um, it's because I, you know, I, I'm pretty passionate and really, really care about what I do. So, um, yeah. So I think working with teams, um, I'm pretty fortunate in that just about everyone I've worked with, you know, is pretty passionate about what they do um, or build builds that passion or I help them find that passion. Um, uh, so I think that's that's uh, definitely something that that pushes me and. Um, and that I, I try to impart on my teams. Our next segment is Stand With a Brand. And in the world of AI, there's a new name called Dolly. Dolly is an artificial intelligence text -to image generator named for Salvador Dolly Pixar's WALL-E, um, for those of you who are familiar with that movie. Um, it can create images based on prompts such as podcast hosts in their at-home offices. Um, so the introduction of Dolly has triggered an explosion of text image generators. Historically, people have been able to trust what they see. And I wanted to share this quote um, from Wal Almagid, who's a professor at the University of Southern California School of Engineering. Once the line between truth and and fake is eroded, everything will become fake. We will not be able to believe anything. 
More recently, advances in AI have given a rise to deepfakes. Both deepfakes and text image generators are powered by a method of training AI called deep learning. And that relies on artificial neural networks that mimic the neurons of our human brain. Um, they've been taken too far in some ways when it comes to deep fakes in certain instances with using images of famous people such as actress Millie Bo Bobby Brown and activist Greta Thunberg and putting bikinis on them when that wasn't the original picture. Last week, Dolly took another step towards even more realistic images, allowing users to upload and edit photos with realistic faces. With improvements to our safety system, Dolly is now ready to support these delightful and important use cases while minimizing the potential harm from deepfakes, OpenAI wrote to users in regards to some of the concerns with deepfake. And my question to you, Marcus, is do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? With greater computing power, with artificial intelligence, uh, there's great opportunity um, but there's also great responsibility. Uh, yeah. I think we need to be responsible for the for the things we create, um, and not to not to propose that we need to instill a bunch of checkpoints and rigor and, and gates. But I, I I just believe that there's you know we've got to be responsible in terms of the AI, AI that we generate and. Uh, um, unchecked, it will be chaos. And I think we've seen so much of that with mis misinformation, um, uh, AI driven or not, um, over the last, uh, you know, five years. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, amazing technology is super fun uh, and can be super damaging and hurtful as well. Yeah, I completely agree on that. It's, a great step forward in some ways, but I think with also caution on how we're using it and how it's being put out into the world. Um, it's been fun to see some of the advances, like you said, coming to life. Um, but then there's always going to be room for people to kind of take advantage in some ways, um, which is kind of interesting to see that, especially over the last few years. And we've all been kind of cooped up in a way. So I think there's been more time for people to kind of utilize this, whether it be good or bad in some ways. But I'm interested to see how this can potentially help certain companies in certain instances as far as how we're getting word of mouth out and kind of elevating companies even more. Um, I've seen some people do it with like, I think Lay's did something with AI technology and being able to like do fun messages to people. If you want to send someone a happy birthday from a famous person, um, that's like a fun way to use it. But then there's also kind of that other side of the path where people are making things look like they happened that didn't or um, using images of famous people and putting um, not so appropriate things um, out there on the internet for everyone to see. So it's a yeah. very interesting time we're in. Yeah, you know, um, like many things, it's not it's not the technology that's bad. It's... Uh, <laughs> yes. And I'm not saying anybody's bad, but... No. There's, <laughs> yeah, it's... There's uh, the people that use the technology. It's just dangerous. It's like yeah. uh, another sort of weapon in the the world of that misinformation. And not that it's just doom and gloom always, yeah. but it's scary to me. No. It's crazy how um, 
realistic and how inspiring it could probably be to people that yeah choose that as the truth um but also i've had some friends that have started uh Insta- one friend specifically he's a cinematographer and he started an instagram feed um that's all ai art that he's generated through different prompts and it's fascinating it's really like sort of beautiful yeah. inventive uh amazing work um and I'm sure that the the there's an underlying question of is this real art? Um, but it almost reminds me of yeah. when photography came out, and there was that same question of is this art? This is just what you know. You're capturing something that exists in real life. It's not a painter, or it's not you know like um, it has the same sort of underlying questions of it's a whole new way to create, uh, and how is that going to fit into our understanding of you know visual arts and and our our increasing dependence on technology to create everything that we create yeah it's you know um it's ai but the humans are still inputting so your friend with the feed he's got the ideas that are being input to them into um the software to 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 make things Uh, i just saw recently too david hockney um uh you know painter he's in his is he almost 90? I'm not sure. But he just made like the largest digital painting uh, ever. And, you know, that's pretty incredible that Hockney, you know, picked up the iPad like in the 2000s and has been doing digital art uh, after an amazing career of, uh, you know, lovely watercolors. And so um, that's, yeah. that's like a very, um, a, an example of, you know, picking up the tools and making great things with it. Um, yes. Uh, Curious to see a Hockney uh, Dolly work for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Um, there's one more segment that we we do with everybody, uh, and this is sort of, you know, taking a step back from careers and and our lives as creators, and just asking you a few open ended questions about you as a person. Uh, and the first question uh, that we ask everybody is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Uh, started a Mezcal brand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is uh, extraordinary. There's a lot of firsts in that. Yeah. 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 Do you mind uh, giving the, the website one more time? Oh, yeah. Creador Spirits. Creador, Creador translates to creator or believer in Spanish. Um, and so Creador is, it's really, the brand is really focused on the makers. Um, the, the name was very influenced by maker culture and, and our Argo design, our, our ethos is think by making. Um, and so, uh, and then I, like I said earlier, I work with so many designers that are also makers. Um, so the name was like, oh, that's perfect. Uh, so yeah, creatorspirits.com. That's amazing. Uh, if you were it. invited to a show and tell right now, what item do you think you would bring and why? If it's a, if it's a large space, I would bring, um, uh, 69 Cadillac Eldorado. Uh, it's just oh such a gosh. great piece of, uh, design. Uh, uh, the designer was Bill Mitchell, who was a GM. Um, it's a 69. So it's, it's at the tail end of the sixties. It still has some of the space age fins in the back. Uh, all the design details uh, on the interior and around the grill and the lights is just so beautiful. 
you know, you get in and it still smells like old leather and still smells like your grandpa's car. What color is it? Do you mind me asking? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is a picture sapp- in my head. It is sapphire, sapphire blue um, with blue leather interior and like blue carpet. And oh a my white, gosh. White leather top. And our final question is uh, if you were to meet a younger version of yourself, uh, what piece of advice do you think you were you would impart? Oh gosh, just one. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd say, hey, don't sweat it. Uh, I think, I think uh, as a younger designer, I was very uh, anxious, and I would kind of get wrapped around the axle a little bit around things. And uh, I've learned uh, over time that uh, not to sweat it, and and. Uh, 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 you have good people around you that you that you're working with, or that you can ask questions, um, and uh, just remember to do that. So that would be one. The other would be start a mezcal brand earlier. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Marcus, it's been such a joy. You're such an inspiring person. Uh, I I know that everybody that listens to this episode is going to start to give a damn more. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> visit creatorspirits.com. Marcus, yes. thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for the time. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to y'all. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective. <laughs>